This is God's word from Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Amen. Thanks, Renee. Good morning, church family. How are you doing today? Good? It's good to see you. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or just joining us, glad to have you. And uh, we as a church are uh, about halfway through a summer series that we just call uh, Summer in the Psalms. And we're not doing the entire book of Psalms because in order to do so would be rather extensive, Uh, but rather we're looking at snapshots from the Psalms and different themes and different ideas and different types. And and today uh, we're going to look at that ever so joyful summer topic, the Psalms of Lament. And yeah, Um, and I'll be honest, so, so, so last week we talked about the idea of gathering together for worship and that's a topic that I'm very passionate about. It's something that I, um, I mean, I've been involved in church since I was very young. I've been involved in leading church. And actually, the, the gathered worship of God's people is just one of my favorite things on planet Earth. I, and so I'm very passionate about that. I was joking with some of the guys. Like, I feel like I was preparing that sermon for last Sunday for, you know, decades. Um, and I'll be honest with you, this idea and this topic, this idea of lamenting and grieving... Uh, is not something that is as natural to me. And it is not something that is particularly natural uh, even in our culture. And so for many of us, this is kind of a, well, I don't know, a little bit of an uncomfortable topic to dive into. And so what I'd like to ask is as I open our time in prayer, uh, I'd like to ask you to pray for me and to pray for us that we would be stretched and we would be grown how God wants us uh, to be stretched and for us to grow as he would see fit. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for this opportunity, even right now, to maybe just take a deep breath and God, to be reminded that you're here, you're present with us in this room. God, as we've even been singing and looking in the scriptures about how you have entered into our brokenness, you've entered into our sin and our suffering to make us alive with Christ Jesus, I pray now, God, <clears throat> that the reality of that would, would settle into our hearts and settle into our minds. God, for myself, I pray that you'd guard my lips and you'd help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, for each and every single one of us, <clears throat> I pray that our hearts would be softened before you and where there are areas that we need to grieve and lament, uh, you would help us to do so in a, in a Christ-focused and a hope-filled sort of way. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. I, uh, if, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that uh, one of my all-time favorite singers, one of my all-time favorite artists in the world is Johnny Cash. And so much so that when we planted this church, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody put in the suggestion box as a suggested name for this church, Johnny Cash Bible Church. 
whoever you are, I owe you a coffee or something, but that was, uh, that was, that gave me quite the chuckle. St. Johnny, as I refer to him, the patron saint of Sound City Bible Church. Now, I can, I can remember, um, actually, the very first Johnny Cash song I ever heard, and it was The Man in Black, which actually became his nickname over a, a lifetime and a career of performing. He actually said in an interview with Larry King, he said, Shortly before he died, he said, I've never done a concert in anything but black. You walk into my clothes closet, it's dark in there. <laughs> like, oh man, that's, uh, there's, there's a bunch of quotes in that interview that are, are worth quoting. But I want to I do something. I was thinking about the, that song, The Man in Black, when we're talking about this idea of psalms of lament and, and sad songs and songs that address hardship and suffering. And so I was going to read through the lyrics of The Man in Black, and then I thought, that's dumb. I don't sound nearly as cool as Johnny Cash singing it. So if you'd be so kind as to indulge me, rather than me just reading through the lyrics for you, I would like to ask if the guys in the production booth could just play St. Johnny himself singing The Man in Black, and I will put the words up on screen, like it's, like it's, like it's one of our worship songs. Um, it's not, but... Think about these lyrics and think about what, what Johnny was singing uh, as we listen through this, and then I'll come up and I'll start the sermon for real, I promise. Okay, so hit it, please. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black, why you never see bright colors on my back, and why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read. Or listen to the words that Jesus said About the road to happiness through love and charity Why you think he's talking straight to you and me Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back up front there ought to be a man in black I wear it for the sick and lonely old For the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been Each week we lose a hundred fine young men And I wear it for the thousands who have died changing everywhere you go but till we start to make a move to make a few things right you'll never see me wear a suit of white oh i'd love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay 
to carry off a little darkness on my back Till things are brighter, I'm the man in black I mean, come on, right? Like, yeah. Man, that song got him into trouble. Uh, it was written in 1971. He was performing on a college campus, had some conversations with students, went back to his room, wrote that song, and then later that day performed it for the first time. Uh, we have it on video. You can actually watch. He's like, yeah, I just wrote this song this morning. I'd like to sing it for you guys. And, uh, well, it's pretty personal, and here it goes. I'm like, oh, wow. But, you know, I'll, like, I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back till things are brighter. I'm the man in black. I mean, like, come on. But he's singing about a wide variety of, of just brokenness, right? I mean, he, he mentioned people that have never heard the gospel. He mentioned those who are sick and elderly and alone. He mentioned uh, people dying in war. He mentioned uh, people, you know, drug abuse, drug, uh, people whose bad trip left them. I mean, just think about all the different things he mentioned in one short little three-minute song, all of the different brokenness in the world. And it was written at a time where there was, uh, try to imagine a, a time when the country was really fractured and, you know, divided. You know, just use your imagination if you can and try to picture, you know, people fighting. Although they didn't have the internet back then, so they just fought. Um, <clears throat> I would argue that as a culture and as a society, we are not particularly good at dealing with grief and hardship and sorrow. We're not particularly good at lamenting. I was reading um, <clears throat> author, Pastor Tim Keller, he had this quote where he's talking about a, a doctor, Dr. Paul Brand, a pioneering orthopedic surgeon in the treatment of leprosy patients. He spent the first part of his medical career in India and the last part of his career in the United States. And he wrote, so he's quoting this doctor, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. And I would say in my experience as uh, just a pastor, but even just as a Christian, I would say I, I, I can agree with that. And the Bible takes us into places of deep sorrow. The Bible is a book or a library, really, a, a collection of books that the vast majority of them are birthed out of deep places of pain and sorrow. You get, you get verses like, like Proverbs 18.4 says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Or you get, you know, joyful verses like the book of Ecclesiastes where it says, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Think about all the different people whose lives we read about in the Bible who struggled with places of deep sadness and darkness. We might even call it, in today's terminology, depression. You've got Moses and Elijah. You've got Jonah and the prophet Jeremiah. You've got the apostle Paul in the New Testament writing that he had despaired of life itself. And even Jesus, our Savior, is known as the man of sorrows. He's familiar with suffering and acquainted with grief. And yet, well, we want to read the verses like, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Or we want to read those verses like, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which are good, true verses. They are the word of God. But I don't think we spend enough time, as God would have for us, 
dealing with our negative emotions. Here's the ways that we deal with negative emotions. One way we deal with them is we just avoid. We avoid our negative emotions. We escape. We try to run away. Sometimes we replace it. If you're feeling a negative emotion, we just replace it with a positive one. Right? And this escapism could be something as extreme as wild, reckless living, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, drug use. But it could also be as seemingly tame as binge-watching hours upon hour upon hour of TV shows on Netflix. Still escapism. I'm still trying to go to some place to get away from my negative emotions. Or another thing that we do with our negative emotions is we fight against them. We fight against them. We deny them, right? We argue with them. How many of you have ever seen uh, the classic movie, What About Bob? You guys remember What About Bob? And you remember Bob Wiley in that movie? You know, what, what does he say to himself over and over and over again? I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful, right? That's a classic example of just, I'm just going to will myself into feeling better. As though emotions could just be strong-armed that way. The other, one, the other analogy that always comes to mind is um, that also highly spiritual film, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and where the Black Knight, he has his arms cut off, and he's like still trying to fight. And, and, and uh, <laughs> Knight's like, dude, stop fighting. You haven't got any arms. And he responds with, it's just a flesh wound, right? Like just, just kind of deny, just fight against it. No, it's, there's nothing really wrong. I can, keep, I can keep going. We do that with our emotions, with our sorrows. Ah, it's just a soul wound. I can keep fighting. The right way, the biblical way, that we as Christians are called and taught and instructed to deal with our negative emotions is lament. It's lament. And so this is the big idea for today is lament is the biblical, God-given way for humans to deal with life's suffering and grief. Okay? That's where God wants to take us, and that's where the Psalms take us. So just a little information quickly about the Psalms of Lament. The Psalms of Lament make up at least a third of the Psalms. One third of the Psalms fully are Psalms of Lament, and there's elements of Lament mixed into way more than even just a third of the Psalms. So it's all throughout the book of the Psalms. So when you talk about, you know, these are songs, these are prayers, these are hymns that God has given to his people for, for worship, both individual and corporate, one-third, like, just think about that. One-third of anything is a lot of that thing. That's a significant portion to carve out and, and to say, hey, let's be sad for a while. There are individual laments, like the one we're looking at today, Psalm 142. So those are personal. You're going to see the language of me and I and my, that, that, that type of individual heart's cry. But there are also corporate laments. I'll just give you uh, one quick example here. Oh, no. I don't have the rest of my sermon notes. I'll just follow on the screen. It's fine. There are corporate laments from Psalm, like Psalm 85. And you, you'll see the language of, of us and we. And when the people of God are, are gathered together, there can be a lament of like, God, we have sinned against you. Or why have you turned your face away from us? There's also a really interesting additional category of psalms of lament called the imprecatory psalms. You guys familiar with that? If you want a big word to use at your next barbecue, the imprecatory, well, I was reading the imprecatory psalms recently. And, um, Actually, if you have read the imprecatory psalms recently, don't talk to people at a barbecue because the imprecatory psalms, uh, it's a fancy word basically meaning a curse. And so like if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Psalm 69 
quickly, I'll just read, like, I'll, I'll read this. Um, like in verse 20, Psalm 16, verse 20 says, Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and, in my, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now listen to what he says. So let their own table before them become a snare. And when they're at peace, let it be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot, cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Wow. Uh, verse 27, add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Yikes. This is, this is the word of the Lord calling for someone to be damned, to be cut out of the book of the living, to be rejected by God. And you, see, you, you might need to just take a moment and think like, well, how is that okay that that is in the Bible? Let me simply say, I won't have time to explore this. could be an entire sermon on its own. I will point you to some resources on our website, a couple of articles uh, written by a pastor, a theologian named Sam Storms, who has done a really good job and good treatment of, of this topic. But I'll simply say this. There is a right and proper place for anger against wrongdoing. If you can read some of the horrific things that take place in the news and not feel a sense of righteous anger, then you, you might need to have your heart checked because there are places of incredible injustice that God himself is angry about. Now, it's hard for us because we get our sinful anger mixed in with righteous anger all the time, don't we? It's hard for us. You know, it's interesting to me, it's, it's interesting to me to hear people in our culture who would be critical of the Bible and they would look at these imprecatory psalms, curses, and they would say things like, well, how, that's, you know, that's the problem with religion, that's the problem with the Bible, it's all this bloodthirsty, yada, 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 and yet I see, just on social media alone, some of the most horrific things posted by those same people, when somebody does something wrong, you know, just awful things. I hope they, you know, burn alive. I hope that they go to prison and horrible things happen. It's like unbelievable to read. Literally, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I, I could tell you people's names. I won't. But where I, they say things like the Bible's barbaric and all that, and then they say things out of the other side of their mouth that are the exact same way. Here's the point I'll leave you with on the imprecatory Psalms. If you look in the imprecatory Psalms, they are asking for God to vindicate the one who's suffering for justice. There's a big difference between vindication and vengeance. Okay? There's a big difference between vindication and vengeance. When we see evil and wrongdoing, we should ask God to step in and do something. But the psalms of imprecation, the, the, these, these imprecatory psalms, they never go to a place of personal vengeance. They always go to a place of crying out for God to do something. So with that said, let's, let's look in this psalm. We're in Psalm 142, and I want to show you five things that we can learn 
about the Psalms of Lament. And I, I even just want to, I want to pause again right now because as I'm sitting here, I'm standing here with you guys, I, I don't know everybody. I don't know your story. I don't know what's going on for you this week, this month. But I, I have spent time in the hospital with some of you who are in this room right now. I've spent time praying with some of you in the last week or two because of just terrible fights and people who have mistreated you. I've spent time weeping in the last couple of weeks because of two different ministry uh, people that I looked up to uh, getting caught having affairs. I spend time reading the news and just shaking my head. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're facing, but I bet if we just took the microphone around for a little bit, we, we could start to hear some stories and we could probably get most of us in tears if we actually just took the time to think about the, the suffering and the hardship that's going on in our lives. This is not some theoretical exercise. This is real life for many of you. And so as we go to the word of God, let that be present in your heart right now. The first thing we can see from these psalms of lament is that they give us permission to grieve. They give us permission to feel negative emotions. Back to my point a minute ago is that I don't think we're particularly good at expressing negative emotions. But listen to what the psalmist says. Listen to what David writes. He says, look to the right and see there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. Verse 6, he says, attend to my cry for I am brought very low. I'm brought very low. Could we just take a quick poll and be honest? How many of you, at a time when you have been brought very low, and someone says, you know, how are you doing? You, you, you put on that good face, that stiff upper lip. You say, ah, oh, I'm fine. It's okay, right? Anybody? Just me? No? Yeah, Cameron, you, I know. <laughs> We've talked about, thank you. Yeah, like, if we're being honest, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. No, I'm, I'm brought very low. Now, <laughs> That'd be an odd greeting, right? I'm standing outside, shaking hands. Hey, good morning, welcome. How are you? I am brought very low, right? But for many of us, that's the reality. There's a, a book by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. I'll read you this quote. It says this. It says, in, in many circles, passionate emotions are discouraged as unspiritual. You are considered godly if you can handle difficult trials with a detached and apparently unruffled confidence. But this conclusion is wrong. There are times when lack of emotion is simply the byproduct of hardness and arrogance. The scriptures reveal that this absence of feelings is often a refusal to face the sorrow of life and the hunger for heaven. It is not the mark of maturity, but rather the boast of evil. And there's a couple scripture references there if you want to go look and see in Revelation and in Isaiah where God rebukes them for being emotionally detached. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep and to wail and to lament when things are hard. In fact, you know, as a pastor, I, I do uh, funerals from time to time. And one of the things about funerals that's very interesting to watch is, is the way that we in the West conduct ourselves during funerals, right? Did you know 
there are parts of the world where the funeral, even to this day, it's like in the Bible where they talk about ripping their clothes and pouring ashes on their heads. Did you know that there is an occupation known as a professional mourner where you can be hired to go to the funeral and show up and start crying first because crying, it's, it's kind of like yawning where it's got that, you know, that trigger effect. It's a cascading domino effect. So somebody starts crying, other people feel free to cry. It's okay. It is not ungodly or unspiritual. I had a conversation with someone in my office just a few weeks ago and they, and they started crying and they're like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, why are you apologizing for crying? What you're telling me is heartbreaking. That's a good time to cry. Now, if we're talking about like giving an offering and you start crying, okay, now we need to, right? Like, like I sometimes tell my kids, right? There's an appropriate time and place for it, but it's okay to express negative emotion. Number two, the Psalms of Lament help us to learn from our emotions. And this is interesting. Look at what it says in verses one and two. It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. Does that word strike anyone as, I don't know, a little risky? Pouring out my complaint before the Lord? Like, how many of you have been, you know, maybe raised in the church or been around the church long enough, been a Christian long enough, like, I don't think you're supposed to complain to the Lord. Like, I'm pretty sure I was reading this book called Exodus, and this group called the Children of Israel started grumbling and complaining at the Lord, and, like, he sent a bunch of snakes to start biting them, right? Like, isn't that, like, you're not supposed to complain. Well, are you supposed to complain? It's in the Bible. What do you say? Here, this is the que- here's the question that actually comes up that's the deeper question about this. Is, is our emotions, are they morally neutral? Are the emotions morally neutral? Okay? Some would say, in an attempt to encourage emotion, they would say, no, no, no. There's no such thing as a wrong emotion. You simply feel what you feel. And you need to express those feelings. Now, there's an element of truth to that, yes, because you do feel what you feel. You can't always, uh, you can't conjure up or manufacture emotions. We oftentimes, the way we experience them, they just kind of happen to us. However, I don't believe that emotions are in and of themselves morally neutral. For the first, the first reason why is that would be you saying, if emotions are morally neutral, that would be you saying that there's a part of me that has been unaffected by the fall of man. My emotions. So my emotions have been in no way, shape, or form altered, tainted, broken by the fall. I don't believe that's the case. But I also think that we can see when when emotions come up out of us, yeah, maybe you didn't control it, you can't direct it, but there can be wrong emotions. And so the, the hint I'm giving you here is this word complaint versus grumbling. Okay? It is okay for you to take your gripes before the Lord because here's what's so amazing. He already knows that's in your heart. When you speak it out loud in your times of prayer and in your times of confession, you don't surprise God. 
You might surprise yourself. You might surprise your spouse. You certainly might surprise the people in your community group, but you do not surprise God. When something really ugly comes out of your heart, he already knows that it's in there. And when you get it out, now you have an opportunity to actually learn from it and to evaluate it. What do I love? What do I care about? What do I really treasure? And what do I really value? Sometimes you have an emotional reaction and then you stop for a minute, you kind of pause and you look and you're like, well, hold on a second. Why am I freaking out about this thing? Oh, it's because I had set up my own little kingdom and my own little world and I wanted everything to be this exact same way and, and it wasn't until I had this emotional reaction that I now can learn. It's like, wow, I'm, I think I'm worshiping this, this thing, this other thing more than God. My point being that the Psalms of Lament help us to learn from our emotions. So yes, feel your emotions, but think about your emotions. It's not that emotions, I belabor this point just because sometimes as Christians, students of the word, right? We love the word, we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's all right, and that's all good. As we give place to our emotions, we're not supposed to untether them from our mind. Be emotional, think about it. Number three, the Psalms of Lament help us to set boundaries for our emotions. Listen to what he says in verse three. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way. So, what can happen with our emotions? Emotions have this funny way of convincing you that everything you feel is 100% reality and truth at all times, right? Anybody ever had that experience? I remember one time I had a dream in which a friend of mine had done something really, really hurtful to me, and I woke up and I was mad for like an hour. And then I'm like, he didn't do anything to me. But I'm like, I saw him like that next day and I'm like, I'm still kind of mad at you. And he's like, he's clueless. He didn't do anything. It was just a dream. The Psalms of Lament set a boundary for our emotions. Lord, when my spirit faints within me, I'm, I'm tapped out, I'm drained, I'm depleted. But you know what, God? You know my way. So I can trust you. Emotions are good like, like a river, but they need to stay in the river banks. So as you think about your emotion and be reminded of your emotion, you can learn from your emotion that not everything you feel is 100% accurate or 100% truthful all the time. Number four, the Psalms of Lament teach us how to suffer well. It's the part of the sermon that everyone loves. Talk about suffering well. Friends, we cannot deny that to be a follower of God, to be a follower of Jesus, means we will suffer. Contrary to what some who have TV ministries or whatnot would want you to believe, Jesus promised us at least one thing, that in this life we will face trials and difficulties. Oh yeah, and that he would always be there with us. Anybody here, kind of like me, not very good at suffering well? Verse 4, look to the right and see there's no one who takes notice of me. 
No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. Anybody ever felt that way? I'm alone. These people are hurting me. And so what do we do? We grumble. I, I throw fits. Can I just be real with you? I throw fits. How could they? How dare they? And I, and I find someone who's got a sympathetic ear. Right? My wife, a friend, whoever happens to walk out of their office in our, in our offices first. You know, I just... Bah, I'm just going to complain. I'm going to whine. I'm going to throw a fit. Anybody with me like this, right? When, when hardship comes and suffering comes, that's my go-to response. What, is, what does David say? I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. What an idea, giving thanks to God in the middle of our hardship and our suffering. There's a pastor in the East Coast, Joe Thorne. He wrote a, a, a short little devotional book. I highly recommend it. It's called Note to Self. It's like a little like page and a half uh, devotionals written like to preach the gospel to yourself. And in that book, he says this. He says, when the world strips away your comfort, and your confidence in the things temporal, when friends become enemies and attack you, when in the providence of God, suffering enters your life like a flash flood, you are given an opportunity to see where your ultimate dependence lies and where you find your identity. Do you want to be confident in God's good purposes for your life? Then you must discover them in times of ease as well as times of difficulty. Do you want to become more like Christ? Then you must suffer and suffer well. This doesn't mean that you adopt the the posture or the attitude of, of a martyr. But it does mean... Well, actually, even think about it. I just use that word negatively, right? A mar- you know what I mean when I say a martyr? Oh, woe is me, someone who's always talking about their own suffering and all of that. But think about this. The word martyr, the original word martyr, it means a witness, a testimony. Do you know what the first Christians did to give their testimony to the watching world? They suffered and they died. That's why we call them martyrs. Let's, let's be like that. Learn how to suffer well from the Psalms of Lament. And then number five, the Psalms of Lament teach us that we need others. Verse 7, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Isn't it interesting how the blessing of God is, is linked right there in that verse to the people of God? I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you're in a time of suffering is a really hard time to invest in community and relationships. The time to invest is not when you've hit a critical place of urgency. The time to invest is yesterday, today, every day that you have opportunity. I can tell you that there are times when investing in relationship and investing in community feels like a little bit of a chore. Can we just be honest? It's hard sometimes to have intentional relationships 
It's hard sometimes to inconvenience myself. It's hard sometimes to keep my kids up a little bit later past their bedtime so that I can get together with the people of God. It's hard to not want to do one of the fun recreational things that I want to do because I'm going to go spend some time with some guys reading the scripture, confessing sin, talking, praying. It's hard. It's hard to do it. Can I get an amen from the church, right? Intentional relationships can be hard, but I am telling you, it's worth it. And it's more than just worth it. It's necessary. If you want to be able to suffer well, if you want to be able to lament in in a way that's healthy and good for you, you need the people of God around you. And if you're currently not in a place of suffering, this is the perfect time to start investing. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be 27 people every Tuesday night in a huge dinner party. It could be you and a couple of friends making a point to say, let's get together one morning a week or every other week and let's just look each other in the eyes and say, what's really going on? We need the people of God and the Psalms of Lament teach us that. So where's, where's Jesus in this? Where's Jesus in the Psalms of Lament? Well, he's everywhere, yes. <laughs> Let me, let, me, let me say a few things here. Because in a minute, we're going to go in a time of prayer and worship and song. But I want to direct our eyes and our hearts towards Jesus right now. Did you know that Jesus was known for his prayers of lament? For those of you who were around when we did our, our series on Hebrews, Hebrews 5-7, during his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries. What type of cries, Sound City? Quiet, stifled, just one little tear. No, like wailing. He was known for offering prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Do you know that Jesus lamented? Jesus never sinned. Jesus never grumbled against God. Jesus was perfectly in line, his his will in line with the Father. But in line with the will of the Father, Jesus lamented and cried. So guess what? You can lament and you can cry too. No, we we won't do it perfectly like Jesus did, but, but he was known for his prayers of lament. Did you know that Jesus actually prayed prayers of lament, quoted from the Psalms of lament, while he was on the cross? Suffering in our place, dying for our sins. In the book of Mark, it says he he cries out from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from Psalm 22. He is on the cross atoning for the sins of the world. And what is it that comes out of his lips? The Psalms. The cries and the Psalms of lament. He did that for you. He did that for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and he lamented on the cross so that not only could your sins be forgiven, but you could know the closeness and love and affection of a father who's got a grip on you so tight and won't let go. One other thing struck me this week about Jesus on the cross and these psalms of lament is that Jesus bore all of our curses and imprecations upon himself 
on the cross. In the book of Galatians, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's many, most of us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you know, read the most angry curse in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, and guess what? That went on Jesus on the cross so that we would not bear the curse of the law, but instead we might receive forgiveness and adoption and the blessings of the family of Abraham. How amazing is that, church? You could, you could cook up the worst curse, being cut off from the book of the living. That fell on Christ, not on us. Praise God. As you read the Psalms and you read these Psalms of lament, I encourage you to think about Jesus. Think about him offering up these cries, offering up these prayers. Think about him bearing all of those curses on himself for our forgiveness. Let me close with with two quick thoughts. The first one is this. If you are suffering, when you suffer, let's learn how to lament well. Let's learn how to lament well. The Psalms can teach you. These Psalms can teach you. I actually, that, that book that I quoted from earlier, uh, Tremper Longman and Dan Allender, I will also link to it up on the website. It's a book just about the Psalms of Lament. I can't remember the title. I think it's The, cry, the Soul's Cry, Cry of the Soul. There's another book by Tim Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, that, that quotes a lot from the Psalms. These Psalms, just go to the Word of God. Learn, learn how to lament well. Maybe it, maybe it starts by yourself, okay? Maybe it's you need to turn off the phone, turn off the TV, maybe get a babysitter for the kids, get alone, and just cry for a while. And just say the things out loud that are already going on in your heart and in your mind. Get them out loud because, again, you're not going to surprise God. He knows that they're there. And he wants to hear them and he wants to instruct you and he wants to meet with you. Number two, for, for those who are maybe not currently suffering, here's my encouragement for you. Learn how to enter into others' lament. We have this thing where when we see people in pain or suffering, again, maybe it's just me, but I think for many of us, our natural tendency is to withdraw. A natural tendency is, ooh, that, ooh something painful is going on there. And maybe we don't feel like we're equipped to deal with it. Maybe we don't feel like we've got anything we can say. Honestly, probably one of the best things you could do is to not say very much. I love you. I'm here for you. Jesus loves you. I ain't going anywhere. Just How about just that? <laughs> stay away from cliches or stay away from promises of happy endings that you don't really know. Who, who, who knows? But I'll be here for you. So I'm saying, I'd like us to grow as a church community in, in a community that can lament well and can love people who are lamenting, who can do it well. Because man, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Tumors, divorces, Children with health issues, angry neighbors, 
pastors having adulterous affairs. I mean, I, I, at one point, I sat down, I deleted it. It was in my sermon notes. I had an entire page typed out of just people's names and just different suffering that I knew was going on. Panic attacks, anxiety attacks, heart palpitations, uh, mistreatment by a boss. It just The list just goes on and on and on. That's only the ones I was aware of in that moment. So I want to invite us now to go before the Lord in prayer and in worship. I'll invite the musicians to come up if they would. Here, here's what I want to do. We're going to respond. We're going to collect the offering right now. I just encourage you, if we could do that quietly and, and just maintain an, an attitude of worship even as we do this. We, we give our tithes and our offerings not to earn God's love or to impress God, but to simply respond to the love that we've been given and the love that we've been shown. So I encourage you to give, as the scriptures would call us to, to give generously, to give cheerfully, sacrificially. If you, if you want to um, give online, you can do that. Or you can give here in service. But as they're, as they're collecting the offering, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. because We prepare to celebrate the Lord's table. And what we're going to do is I'll read this passage and then I'll pray. And then we're just going to spend some time. The musicians play instrumentally for a little while. We're going to spend a little bit of time just sitting before the Lord. If you, I'm, I'm just going to say this. If you need to cry, that's okay. If you aren't in that place, that's okay as well. But maybe you could spend time praying for others who you know in your life are hurting and are, 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 are in a place of grieving and lamenting. And pray that Jesus would meet them with his grace. 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. The night when Jesus was betrayed. The night when Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest companions. He took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. His body was broken. Jesus' body was broken. Some of you here, your, your bodies are broken. Jesus' body was broken in the ultimate sense so we might receive healing and salvation, eternal life. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in Remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We, we worship a Savior who went all the way to the point of death. He, he can relate to you in your suffering. And so as we sit and as we take this time to reflect, to do what, what it says, to, to, to examine ourselves first before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, I just invite you to sit. I invite you to pray. I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I ask that maybe he would give you uh, the courage for the first time to write out in your journal or to even just whisper out for the first time ever what's really been going on in your heart. And then when you're ready to eat and to drink of the bread and the cup, and then in a little while, we'll invite you to stand so that we can all sing together. But let me do this. Let me pray. And let's go before our, our God in prayer and worship, and even lament. God, we ask for your spirit to move here in this place right now.
God, I don't know everything that's going on. Not, not one person here knows everything that's going on, but God, you do. And so we come to you now. We, we bring our laments before you. We bring our cries before you. God, we even bring our complaint to you with our voices. We cry out to you, Lord, with our voices. We plead for mercy and we tell our trouble before you. So God, we ask that you'd meet with us now in this time of prayer and reflection and singing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.